sermon text this morning is John chapter 1, verses 4 through 13. I'll be reading from the ESV. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. You inspired this word. You speak through this word even today. I pray that you would speak in these moments now. As, as your word goes forth, I pray that your spirit would use it in our lives to convict us where we need to be convicted, to comfort us where we need to be comforted. I pray that collectively we would grow. Sometimes growing means there will be pain. So even if it's painful to grow this morning in your likeness, I pray that you would grant that grace to us. I pray that as we encounter the beauty of the gospel, that you would open our eyes to see it, that you would open our ears to hear, and that you would open our hearts to receive the light of Christ and have true hope this Christmas. Father, glorify yourself through the preaching of your word. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Now we're currently in the middle of our Advent series, and this year we decided not just to focus on John chapter 1, but to focus specifically on the theme of hope. And so there are a lot of themes around Christmas time that, you could, that we could focus on, but we've decided to focus on hope and how, with the coming of Christ, we have true and lasting hope. And what we've said over the last few weeks is that we all have both surface level hopes and we all have deep heart level hopes. We hope for something, for a better life, for a better world, for a better reality. And all of the things that we loathe about this world, it has the aroma of death when you think about it. When you think about disease, when you think about divorce, when you think about separation, broken relationships, all of them are not life-giving, but they're life-taking. And then death itself, our ultimate enemy. We're hoping and longing, all of us, whether we're Christians or not in this, in this room, we're hoping for that kind of world where those things do not exist. And what we've seen over the last couple weeks is that nothing in ourselves and nothing in this world can deliver on that hope. And so we are left objectively hopeless. And the only true hope, the only hope that can actually, uh, that is something that we can actually hang on to that will deliver is the hope that is in Jesus because only he can provide all of those things. Only he can take us to that world and his coming is a sign of that world that is to come where God will live with his people, where we will be with our God in this place of perfect bliss. 
And for Christians, we have that hope even now, but as we said earlier and we said throughout the service, and it's just kind of a point of emphasis this morning, even those of us who have objective reason to hope, like it's, you know, as Landon would say, we have hope like this. A lot of times we feel like this, right? We don't feel hopeful. And I don't know about you, but for me, it doesn't really matter if I'm objectively hopeful or I should be hopeful if I don't feel hopeful. And no, our feelings should not be trusted as the basis for how we should live our lives. But when you feel hopeless, it makes every single day difficult. And so, as we said, the Christmas season, it can actually intensify hope and it can also intensify hopelessness. Maybe the cold weather, maybe the lights, maybe the trees, maybe we wish you a Merry Christmas or all those wonderful Christmas carols. Maybe they don't conjure up feelings of joy, but it's more dreadful than anything else. You know, I think of Job. You know, maybe this, this is from Job 30, verse 26. Maybe, maybe this is you. Job, he's wrestling with God throughout the whole book, wrestling with him, wrestling with his friends. It's just a fight because God has taken everything from him. And he's wrestling with the fact, okay, how is God good and righteous and taking everything from me? How can I hope for anything good from him if he takes everything that's good from me? And Job says in Job 30, 26, but when I hoped for good, evil came. And when I waited for light, darkness came. And so, so maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're hoping for light, but it just seems that there's only darkness. Maybe you're hoping and longing for good and all you see around you is evil. Why this tension? Well, it's because and we don't even have to open a systematic theology book to show this, the world is dark. We live in a very, very dark world. And I, and I hope that this morning we can recognize that, but then we can also recognize that there is an answer to the darkness. There is an answer to the darkness of your mind and of your heart, both the evil, the sin that's in us, and the suffering and its effects on us, and then even the, the ignorance, the confusion that we have. There's an answer to all of that. And just like a dark room, the answer to a dark room is a light. So the answer to the darkness that is in us and in the world is a light. So I want us to look together. I have three, I want to divide this passage into three different sections. We're going to look first at verses four through five and verse nine as well. And we're going to, I'm going to encourage you to behold the light of Christ. And then secondly, we're going to move down to verse, verse nine and we're going to look from verse nine to verse 13. And we're going to see if there is this light that enters our darkness how can we get it? How can we get access to this? And so I'm gonna encourage you to believe the light of Christ. And then thirdly, we're gonna jump back to that little middle section where John um, talks about John the Baptist and we're gonna see, well, if we have received the light, then what are we to do now? And I'm gonna encourage you to bear witness to the light. So again, this week, remember, we're keeping it simple. 
We want you to focus on the word. I want you to take your own notes. I want you to just think. And if it's stressing you out, please send me a text, send me an email. I have the notes. No one texted me last week. You guys didn't want my notes? Um, if you want, if you want the notes, there's a full sheet for you that I can email you. But this morning, I just want to keep it simple. So three points. And I'll repeat these for you if you're taking notes. First, we're going to behold the light of Christ. Second, we're going to believe the light of Christ. And then third, bear witness to the light of Christ. So first, behold the light of Christ. Verse four in John chapter one says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. John has just, last week we considered verses one through three where he says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. And then, you know, we jump down to verse 14 to show this connection. John is, when he's saying the word, he is talking about Jesus of Nazareth. He's talking about baby Jesus who was born in Bethlehem. And the word he's saying is eternal. The word has no beginning. The word was actually there before the beginning of the universe. And not just that, but the word created the universe. And so he's telling us that baby Jesus is actually the creator of heaven and earth. And he continues his description of Jesus, and he says he's not just the creator of all life. Verse 4 says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And so what we want to see first here is that Jesus is the source of true life. Jesus Jesus is the source of true life. So everything that exists in all of creation, every physical thing and every spiritual being exists because Jesus is the creator and the life that anything has flows out of him because in him is the essence of life itself. And so when he says in him was life and the life was the light of men, every single human being, especially creation in general, but especially human beings, we possess the very image of God. So all of creation, even in this fallen world, still glimmers with the light of Christ and especially human beings because we are created in his image. And so that's why you see people who do not know Jesus, and as we're going to see, are in darkness. People who are living in darkness, even people who are utterly evil, good things sometimes happen to them, do they not? And is it too far-fetched to believe that someone who is completely evil could do something that's good? You know, they provide for their family. You'll have someone, and you'll, you'll hear these really creepy and dark stories. You know, I kind of like the darker shows on Netflix um, that, you know, sometimes they get too inappropriate and I have to turn them off. But, but I do sometimes kind of like the darker shows. And you'll have this guy, the really creepy situation where he's an awesome family man, but he's actually a serial killer, you know? Like, he cares for his family. He's a, he's a hard worker. He provides, and then, like, in his free time, he goes and just kills a bunch of other people. But this is a testament to, first of all, the depravity of man, obviously. But secondly, God's common grace. It's a, it's a theme brought out in a lot of John Calvin's writings where he emphasizes that since every single person is created in the image of Christ, there is a light that is still within us. There is still some evidence that the life that Jesus gave us is a testament to the fact that we are created in God's image. And so Jesus himself is the source of true life. John wants to establish that from the very beginning. But as we're going to move down here, 
first in verse five and then in verse nine, Jesus is not just the source of true life. Jesus, as the source of true life and as, as John will later describe him, the light of the world, he enters our darkness. And I don't want to belabor the point because we, you know, last week we really did marvel at this and we meditated on this simple fact, but look at, look at verse five first and then we're going to jump down to verse nine. So after, after saying Jesus in him is life, and the life was the light of men. So everything that has life has life because it's been given to them by the one who possesses the essence of true life. It says, the light shines in the darkness. Does that conjure up any thoughts biblically for you? Where, where does your mind jump back to whenever you see the light shining in the darkness? Genesis 1 again, right? So again, yes, this emphasis that Jesus is the creator, but it's a point that he's going to be making much later that true light and true spiritual life comes from Jesus himself and it comes only from Jesus himself so the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it and then jump down to verse 9 so like there's this little it's, it's kind of it kind of interrupts the flow of thought where he talks about John the Baptist but in verse 9 the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world is that not amazing? The one who possesses true life, the one who is the light of the world, who by his own voice, galaxies spring into existence. He was coming into the world. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, it is the dawning of light. Light entering the darkness. Back in Isaiah 9, there's this, there's this passage, and it's, it's really beautiful. It's actually on the front of your, of your liturgy booklet. But Isaiah says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light Shown. And this is where I want to, again, emphasize the uniqueness of Christianity. If you're not a Christian in this room, I want to emphasize how Christianity is so different from every other world religion or philosophy you're ever going to see. John is emphasizing, and, and Isaiah clarifies this for us, that light comes from outside of us. Okay? We are in the darkness. The world is a dark place. And the world cannot produce the light that can overcome its own darkness. It cannot happen. The world, and even, we hate to say it, even you and I, apart from God's grace, we are darkness. That's, that's something that we're gonna see a little bit later in a passage in the New Testament. We are darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. And we see throughout the Bible these two themes pitted against one another of light and darkness, not as if they're two forces who were just combating, but you have light, which is God, which is life and everything that's in it, and then you have darkness, which is the absence, which is the rebellion against God and his ways. And so the only hope for anyone in darkness is for the light to shine in it. But I want you to notice from Isaiah 9, what does it say? Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, from them has light shone. Is that what it says? No. Not from them has light shone. On them 
has light shone. Upon them has light shone. When Jesus was born, and this is what Christmas is all about, it's all about the fact that salvation comes from outside of you. The only hope you have for redemption for your brokenness and your darkness is for light to shine on you from the outside. And that's what John is emphasizing to us. True light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world to shine light in the darkness of the world and your own heart. So Jesus entered our darkness. And so it emphasizes the uniqueness of Christianity, but it also reminds us of something precious. That God himself, God the Son, and we talked about this last week, existing in this perfect, harmonious relationship within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, choosing intentionally, willingly, to leave glory and enter a shameful dark world, to leave light as the light and enter our darkness, which means that if you feel pain this Christmas, if you feel like you're walking through a very dark night right now, Jesus is unafraid of your darkness. He's unafraid of your pain. He's not too good for it, even though he is too good for it. He entered our broken world and became subject to our fallen world. And so Jesus meets you in your pain. He is there. We sing that a lot. We, we see it all over scripture a lot. But Christmas is evidence of that. That a perfect, holy, glorious God enters a dark, fallen, broken world and becomes subject to it. He's walking around. Think about it. Jesus walking around, the creator of heaven and earth. In him was life, and it's the stench of death all around him, both through sin and through sickness and disease and death. He did not have to subject himself to this. He was truly man, so he experienced full temptation as a man. God cannot be tempted. Jesus never had to experience that. If he didn't want to, he chose to. And he chose to enter this dark world. And he chooses today to enter your dark world and your darkness. To not just enlighten you and not just rescue you, but to be with you. Jesus is close this Christmas and God is with those who are brokenhearted. So Jesus enters our darkness, but, but also Jesus doesn't just enter the darkness to just kind of be a pal and be like, I know, man, it's really tough. The world's really, really bad, but I'm here with you. I'll be clapping you along the way. You know, let's, let's see if you can just do a little bit better. You know, I know, yeah, you had a really bad week and you sinned a lot and it was a really dark week, but you know, if you just kind of conjure up some energy, maybe next week will be a little bit better and you'll be a better person. You'll get a little bit, you'll be a little bit closer to the light. Now, Jesus did not come to just be a coach to cheer us on. Jesus came to not just be with us in our darkness, he came to overcome our darkness. Verse five says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not 
overcome it. So darkness, if, if we see the synonyms of life and light, because that's what John seems to do in throughout the Bible, I wish we actually had time to really go through the whole motif of light and darkness. It's all over the place. And if you want to do just, if you have, an e, if you have the ESV app, you can literally just get on there and search light, and then you can search darkness and just see how they overlap throughout the Bible. It's, it's, it's fascinating. But as we think about darkness, darkness is synonymous with death, just as Light is synonymous with life. And when God created the world, there was no darkness. There was no death. There was no sin. And so sin itself is the source of darkness. And the darkness that sin brought upon the world is darker than that void before God even created the world. Sin brings this dark shadow upon all of God's creation. And so I just want to ask a question really quickly, and I have three answers to this, and it's what is darkness? And again, there, there are many ways to answer this, but I want us to focus on three things here. So what is darkness? First, darkness is a realm created by sin. And again, we're not talking about two opposing and equal forces kind of battling it out. We have God and Satan, light and darkness battling it out. But the absence of God, the absence of life, the absence of light, this darkness actually is so strong that it is itself a realm in which we are trapped. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, they invited darkness into this bright and glorious world and into their bright and glorious hearts. And all of their descendants, from then on out, were trapped in this realm of darkness. It's almost like a separate kingdom, which has rebelled against the kingdom of God. It's Secondly, so, so first, it's a realm, and then secondly, it is a way of life. And I don't want to get to this passages yet because we're going to jump to it at the end with our application and our third point. But constantly throughout the New Testament, the writers are urging believers to flee their dark ways, to flee the darkness. And so what darkness does is, if, you, if you've ever been in a dark room, you know, like at our old building, at our old building, we were often in dark rooms because the only way to turn the lights on was to go to the very back and flip the breaker, you know? We didn't have light switches. So this is really a step up for us. Like, we ain't worried about this, thing, this floor up here, you know? It's not, it's not finished yet. We don't care, you know? We're just glad we can turn the lights on without having to go all the way to the back. Um, but if you've ever been in a dark room, you know that you're essentially blind, right? Because there's, there's no light and your eyes need that in order to see. And so you're essentially blind in the room. You don't know what's in front of you. So there's, there's a level of ignorance. And if, if you're walking in a room, you're kind of, you know, you're doing one of these numbers. Like you're kind of shuffling your feet and hoping you don't fall over something. You're reaching because you don't know where anything is. Darkness is a way of life where you are basically living like that. You're trying to find your own way. How am I supposed to be a good father? How am I supposed to be a good husband? Is this the right thing to do? Is that the right thing to do? And you have all of these influences coming at you from everywhere in the world, and you're not really sure. Darkness is a way of life. And then a little more sinister, darkness is just, it's just evil, you know? When you think of darkness, we think of evil. And that's, that's a way of life as well. And then, okay, so... It's a realm created by sin. It's a way of life. So we're trapped and we're blind. But thirdly, a little more personally, a little closer to home, it's a condition of our hearts. 
We're not just trapped. We're not just blind. We're dead. We're dead. The darkness is in us. And so we can't do anything to escape it. Because not only is the world around us really dark, but the world inside us is really dark. We can't get away from the darkness. We cannot overcome the darkness. Instead, the darkness overcomes us. And, you know, especially just working from C.S. Lewis, the further along you go in the darkness, the darker and the darker it gets, which means you are getting further and further from the light. Which means you are becoming less and less human. And so, you know, C.S. Lewis, he's like, that's what, that's what hell is. Hell is the removal of God's common grace, and hell is where you have lost your humanity. Because God created us to be truly and fully human, to truly and fully live with him. So this is a problem that we cannot overcome within ourselves. We don't have the resources to do that, and we cannot find the resources in this world. The light must shine on us because it cannot shine from us. So it causes us to ask the question, how does Jesus then overcome the darkness? Because what a beautiful word in verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness overcomes us because there is not a light in us that can drown out the darkness but John tells us when Jesus comes he's different he is true life and light and when he shines forth the darkness can do nothing to stop him so how can he do that or how does he do that it's counterintuitive and it's surprising and it's beautiful all at the same time the light overcomes the darkness by being put out by the darkness I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27. you to look at verse 45 the death of Jesus now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour and about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying Eli Eli lema sabachthani that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All right, this is, this is really crucial because something amazing and crazy happens here. Something happens that should not happen. This is, this is a, a miracle of sorts that in the middle of the day, it's completely dark. As Jesus is hanging on the cross in the middle of the day, the world goes dark. Why? There's outer physical darkness. And everyone who's at the crucifixion, Jesus hanging on the cross, and everyone who's there is now in darkness. As Jesus 
hangs on the cross and takes his final breaths. There's outer darkness because it's symbolizing the inner darkness. So if verse 45 describes the outer darkness for us in Matthew 27, verse 46 describes that inner darkness where Jesus, God the Son, who has lived in eternal fellowship, unhindered fellowship with his Father in this moment, because he is bearing your sin and my sin, he is counted as guilty in our place, and he is forsaken so that we can be accepted. The light is extinguished by darkness, and in the process, darkness is fully and finally defeated by this great and shining light. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God the Father forsook his own son in order to bring you in. He suffered every single thing you deserve for all of your dark ways. All the punishment that you deserve, all the justice that should be brought down on you for all of your unrighteousness, Jesus bears for you on the cross. This is what Christmas is all about. The light overcomes darkness, not just because, oh, God was born as a baby. No, because God was born as a baby to later die on a cross, to become darkness. So that you could become, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, the light of the world. Only Jesus and only his people are called the light of the world. And that's because the light of the world was extinguished by darkness. But that's not the end of the story, is it? In death, remember the scene? Jesus, he, he bows his head. He bows his head. He's giving his life up because no one can take it from him. In him was life. He bows his head in darkness, declaring, remember those final words? It is, John's gonna actually give us this, it is finished. But it's as if the light of the world was speaking to darkness itself. You're extinguishing me now. Oh, but here are my final words to you. It is finished. You are finished. All has been accomplished to put an end to darkness, which means an end to death, an end to disease and everything that's life-taking. And the end of the story isn't just that Jesus died, but three days later, what happens? A burst of glorious light as the tomb is opened and Jesus walks out. The Lord of life, in him was life. He was killed. He died in your place and then he took his life back so that all who believe in him will walk in this eternal, true Life and truly and fully flourish in him. Jesus overcomes darkness by succumbing to darkness and then crushing darkness by walking out of the tomb. So behold this great and glorious light. So as our second point, we're gonna encourage you to not just behold the light, but to believe the light of Christ. We're at a crucial point here in John chapter 1, and we're in a crucial point in our service as well. Because that's the truth of the gospel. 
that the light of God shines in our darkness, that Jesus took your sin and took your place, and he shines this glorious light on everyone. Do you see it? Let's look together at verse 9. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. All right, we're going to stop right there and pick up verses 12 and 13 in just a second. But what we need to see here at the very beginning is that the light of Christ shines on everyone. Jesus was objectively born over 2,000 years ago. God took on flesh and entered this world. Light shines in the darkness. There is hope here. And we're holding it out to you. You have two options this morning. To receive this light or to reject this light. Every single person in this city, every single person in the world has those two options. Will you receive the light or will you reject the light? Because the light has come. Salvation is found only through Jesus. So forget every other world philosophy. If Jesus really is God in the flesh and the light truly has come in him, you got to deal with him. Hope is only found in him. So what are you going to do? Because by nature, we are in darkness. And by nature, we can't escape darkness. And by nature, we actually love darkness. In John chapter 3, you can flip there if it's quick for you. In John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, we read this. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But everyone, or, but whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So we're in darkness, and something we don't really like to admit is we kind of like it. We kind of like living our life the way we, when Jesus comes in, he says, no, 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 you are wrong. How many of us like to be told that? You are wrong. The way you are living is wrong. And he says, come to me. There's true insight. There's true understanding. There's true life in me and in me alone. And so, even though we're in darkness and even though we can't escape it and even though we love it, Jesus invites us to receive his light. He invites us to receive his life and to have true life. And, and you need to know this. True life is found in Jesus or not at all. True and eternal life is found in Jesus or not at all. So you have a decision to make. You have a decision to make before you leave this room. Will you receive the light of Christ or will you reject the light and so if, if you're on the edge of your seat or if you're asleep maybe I can wake you up how do we receive it that's that's an important question how do we receive the light of Christ because it sounds great it sounds great all of my depravity all of my darkness all of my sin Jesus bore it on himself and I can have life in him 
How? How do we get it? Three things I want to share. First, you have to recognize that you're in darkness. You have to. You have to recognize it. You see, the themes of light and darkness that are used in the New Testament, they're used to distinguish people who are aligned with God and those who are opposed to him. And, and Jesus, he, he says two things. First, he says that those who follow him are the light of the world. Matthew 5.14. And then he says that those who reject the light of Christ will be cast into what? Outer darkness. It's Matthew 8, Matthew 22, Matthew 25. You have to recognize that you're in darkness before you run to the light. Secondly, you must believe in Jesus. And that's where I want to ask you a crucial question. Christians, non-Christians alike, what is faith? What is faith? Our children know what, what they know the answer. They know a, an answer to that question based on our catechism. Faith is receiving and resting in Jesus alone for salvation. It's receiving and it's resting. Faith is not a work. It's not a way for us to merit God's favor. Faith is a gift, and faith is a way to receive a gift. It's just receiving what God has already done for us. But more than that, I need, I need you to, to know this. Faith is not absolute certainty. Okay, so if you're thinking, you know, I really would believe in Jesus, but I just have so many questions. And I, I'm, there are just a few things about the Christian faith. I'm just like, I just don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you walk in this room every week, and you just have some serious doubts. Faith does not mean that you don't have doubts. And it's not like you have to muster up enough faith for God to finally accept you. No, what matters is not how strong your faith is. What matters is the strength of the object of your faith, as we say often. And the object of our faith is Jesus, and he is the one who is able. He is the one who holds us fast, not the other way around. Jesus isn't dependent on your strong faith to keep this thing going. He is still strong when your faith is weak. So when I say believe in Jesus, John actually uses a few words to describe this. He says know, he says receive, he says believe, all within the same passage. Another word that we can add in based on the rest of the New Testament is rest. You're resting in Jesus, you're receiving Jesus, you're believing in Jesus, you're knowing him intimately. That doesn't mean you know everything about him. That doesn't mean you know everything about the Christian faith. You know, I had a conversation with uh, Luke Hamblin, um, who's going to be baptized next week up here. And a lot of people are really hesitant with children, and, and I appreciate the caution. I really genuinely do appreciate the caution. But the reason we're uncomfortable is how free their faith is and how easy it is. They hear the truth of the gospel, and they're like, I believe that. And when Luke kind of shared to me, I was like, man, tell me the story. And he's like, well, man, I was in my room one night, and... Uh, I was thinking about some things and I, you know, God was convicting me of sin and I just knew that my only hope was Jesus and I just asked him to save me. And then he stopped talking and it almost felt awkward like, you know, there needs to, it needs to be a 30 minute testimony. I'm like, dude, that's it. That's it. That's what saving faith is. It's receiving and resting in Jesus alone. So don't think you have to leave this room knowing all the answers in order to trust Jesus for salvation. Run to Jesus. 
Trust in him. Believe the light of Christ. But the third thing I want you to see here under how do we receive this is that God must act. In order for you to receive Jesus as the light that will save you from your darkness, God must act. So let's look at verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So you must be born again. God must do a work of creating life in you for you to even receive Jesus. He must act, and he does. He does. So what you need to see here, and we're going to see in just a second with this third point, but when you receive Jesus, when you receive this light, you're receiving new life. And that means that your life will be transformed and it will be changed forever. But God must do it. He must do it. Or we have no hope of ever attaining this true life that we crave. So behold the light of Christ. Believe the light of Christ. And then thirdly, I want to encourage you to bear witness to the light of Christ. With John the Baptist as our example, I want to encourage everyone in this room, if you have received the light, to bear witness to it. So let's look at verses 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So that, that emphasis there is because people at the time, especially around the time of Jesus, they would love them some John the Baptist, and some of them loved him a little too much. And so there, there didn't want to be any confusion. John the Baptist was not the light. Jesus was the light, and he came to bear witness to the light. So we see a few things. We see there's a man sent from God. His name was John. So we have John the Baptist. Here's the guy. Here's the context. He came as a witness to do something. What did he come to do? He came to bear witness about the light. Why did he come to do it? So that all might believe through him. And that, those are my points to you from this short passage. First, if you have received the light of Christ by faith in him, you are a witness. You are a witness to what Jesus has done. You weren't there, right? Like you weren't there. You didn't see it with your own eyes, but through the testimony of the church, through the testimony of scripture, you have received the same light that these original disciples received. You have received the same light that John himself received. And so just like John the Baptist, you are a witness to this light that you have received. So you're basically saying to the world who is still in darkness, come and see. Come and see this great light that has shined upon me. Come and see. You are a witness. And so how? How, how do you bear witness? Three ways. If you're a note taker, here we go. First, the first way to bear witness to the light of Christ is to run from darkness run from darkness you cannot be living in darkness and bear witness to the light you know why because you're in darkness it doesn't work that way you have to be in the light to go and bear witness to the light that you are in and that is in you to those who are in darkness so you have to run from darkness and just a simple way to say that you have to flee sin Are we fleeing sin, church? 
Are we fleeing it? Are we running from it with everything that is in us? Because we know that its end is death and destruction and we know that sin itself is the source of darkness in this world and in our lives. Do you see it for the poison that it is? It tries to lure you in and then it gets you and then you're stuck again even though you now have the very life of Christ in you. Quit fooling around with it. Flee it. Leave it in the dust. You will never be sorry for doing that. Romans 13, 12. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of life. Quit walking in darkness. When you walk in darkness, you walk in death. You, among all people on the earth, have access to true life. Walk in it. And that's, that's our second point. So run from darkness. And secondly, walk in the light. Walk in the light. The light has shined. You can see now. Follow Jesus, who is the light of the world. And you, as his children, will be the light of the world. Ephesians 5, verse 8 and 11. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. You were darkness. You are light. In the Lord, walk as children of light. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Walk as children of light this week, in this Christmas season. As those in darkness see you, may they see the light of Christ. And then 1 John 1, 5 through 7, same John who wrote this gospel. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. You want to see community in this church? Walk in the light together and spur one another to walk in the light. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Don't be afraid to walk in the light because Jesus has already died for all of your darkness and then thirdly we don't just run from darkness and walk in the light we don't just flee sin and chase holiness but we speak words of life so testify actually use your words don't just trust that you're living such a holy life that people who are in darkness are like wow look at i was going to use someone's name i'm not going to call someone out look at mitchell sorry i did it look at mitchell Man, he's such a holy man of God. I want what he has. Like, don't, don't wait for that. Don't wait for that. And don't, don't think that you're so holy that people can even see that. We hope they do. We want them to. But testify to the light. Testify to what Jesus has done for you and in you. It's actually when people see you fall and have dark moments that you can testify best to the grace of God in shining his light on someone who is such a sinner as you. So, finally, why do we do it? Why would we bear witness? Is it to earn more browning points with God? Is it to rack up, you know, maybe we can get a little bit closer, you know, in heaven to the throne of God? Maybe our mansion will be a little bit bigger if we bear witness a lot? No, we we bear witness because there are still those who were in darkness. Do you see what it says in verse seven? He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. Why? That all might believe. 
through him. Not John the Baptist, but Jesus. That all might believe. Is that your hope? Is it? Is that your hope this morning? That all in our city, that all in your family, that all in your friend group would believe in Jesus? Are you praying that way? Maybe, maybe you're, you're a little, little heady and you're like, well, I know that the Lord is sovereign and he calls people to himself and I know that not everyone in the city is going to turn and, and away from their sin. You don't know that. You don't know that. We know that God desires the salvation of all people and so we should pursue that through our faithful witness to the light of Christ. So pray fervently as we enter a new year. Make it a goal. Pray fervently that everyone in those groups that you have, everyone in our city would come to saving faith in Jesus and then live accordingly. Live on this mission with Jesus for his sake and for his glory. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for shining your light on us. I'm continuously blown away by the fact that you even did that. I mean, you created us to live in harmony with you. You created Adam and Eve for that very purpose. They messed it up. It wasn't your fault. You weren't the problem. They were the problem. They turned to darkness because they turned away from your light. They turned to death because they turned away from the only source of true life. So thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for sending your son to be born as a baby, to take on flesh, so that we could escape this dark world and that we could escape our dark selves and be made new. Thank you for the renewal that comes through your spirit. Father, as, as we continue this Christmas season, I pray that we would rejoice in the light of hope. That we actually have hope for all that we're longing for because of what Jesus did. Father, help us to live as faithful witnesses in this city to the great light that has shown upon us. May we not just bottle this light up. May we share it with those that are close to us and those who are in our city and those who are all over the world. God, we deserve to to die in our darkness. You've brought us into your light, and which means you've brought us into life. Help us to walk in that life, even now. Even as we long for the day when Jesus returns. Even as we long for the new heavens and the new earth. To be in your presence, with your people, in your place, under your reign forever. Help us to know that we have access to true life, even now. Cause us to flourish for the sake of those who are still in darkness. And may we run with compassion and mercy and urgency because we've received the light. I pray that you would bring many people in our city to saving faith in Jesus, maybe someone even this morning in this place. 
And I pray in all of that, you would be glorified and that your people would have the reputation of being your light in a dark place. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to respond through song. Oh,